I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Now we know him as Savior. We know that our Savior was born and we proclaim that Christmas time. But there was so much more that Jesus came to do. And it's not anything separate than the Savior, but it is exactly how he saved us. He paid for our sins, but there's knowledge and wisdom that comes that he came to bring and everything that he came to do. So there's... 11 statements in the Gospels where Jesus said, I came to. And every one of them are so powerful. But what I've realized at preaching them and studying them is they're hard. Like for us to receive. And I wonder why is that? And it's because, which we talked about last week, was Jesus came specifically to preach to a group of people who knew of this coming Messiah. They knew the truth. They knew the Old Testament by heart. It was given to them, ingrained in the first four books of the Bible were in every home. There was no choice in the Jewish lifestyle. It was passed to them. Every young man went to school, and they knew the first four books by memory. Think about that. It's tough enough for us to memorize a couple of passages of scriptures, right? It was so ingrained in their community and who they were, their identity as a people, that they had four books, the first four books of the Bible, memorized on their heart. Because there was not a lot of literate people. Most in, in those, especially those earlier times, women were not literate. The men were the literate ones, so they could read. So the women did, couldn't even read it. They had to receive it from their husband. That was why this stuff was ingrained and printed on their hearts. So when Jesus came, he was not preaching to a group of people who had zero idea who he was or what he was talking about. He came to validate some things to some group of people who were waiting on the Messiah to come. So yes, he was Savior. He came and paid a price that we will never have to uh, pay. He died a shameful death upon a cross, naked, beaten, bruised. So we didn't have to pay that ultimate price for the things we've done. But then the next step is all the things he did, the way he did it, what he said he came to do was to prepare us to carry this light, love, truth, and life to the world around us. That's what he was coming to do to the disciples, to the Jewish people, was to restore their birthright of a blessing. So today I'm going to read two passages of Scripture And they talk about Jesus saying, "He's I am this, I am this. It's two different things. But when you see it from the perspective of the Jewish people and from that time frame, you're going to find out they are the same thing. And I think today the reason we have a problem conceptualizing some of this is we try to take that and fit where we're at now. 
and I'll walk you down that street in a minute. Let's read these passages. We're going to read Luke 12, 49. Luke 12, 49. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. If you're at home with us, it will be on the screen as well. Luke 12, 49. It says, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. Now, when we listen to that scripture, that seems very devastating, if you will, because we know fire. Fire for us, if, if depending on the time of year you preach this sermon, you turn on your TV, fire is a dangerous thing. If anybody knows anybody that's recently been in Colorado or lives in California, fire every year just causes so much damage. The Colorado ones occur like that. And it doesn't take anything but just a loose flame and to catch a bunch of things on fire and a wind blows and before you know it, spread over a, a rapid area and people are evacuating homes and properties because of the damage and the impending doom that that fire brings. So when we read this passage today, that's kind of just because of the way it's stated. I think we can see it from a perspective of damage. Jesus came to Go back to it. I turned the page, so. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. In other words, I came to burn this joint down and I wish it had been ready. From our perspective, that's kind of what that can say, right? But I want to read this other passage because I believe that God is trying to do something with this fire. And then you're you're going to hopefully see how we get it mixed up. John 12, 46. Because what we find with Jesus is the same way God's word is. He doesn't say one thing in one area and then change his mind later. Like Jesus wasn't saying one thing in one gospel to a group of people and then said another thing that just completely different. Jesus was who he was, and everything he came to do was synonymous with these things. All these 11 things, when we figure out what they are, are ingrained in who Jesus was. Everything he came to do was this. So we find in John 12, um, 46, I'm going to actually go to 44, but 46 will be on the screen. It says, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. As I was sitting there this Sunday, kind of going over the notes from last Sunday and just going a little more in depth, I noticed something about our home. So I'm sitting in our living room and we have a fireplace. I'm sitting in front of that fire and it's providing me warmth. But you know what? My fireplace, we began to talk about this over the weekend. We talked about the winds that were coming with a snowstorm and there's a potential always to lose power when you have those winds and things like that. And Emma was like, well, that's okay because we got a fireplace. And I was like, yeah, about that. We have a gas fireplace with an electric ignition. 
that's not working. Well, at least we got a stove and we can cook food. Yeah, about that. We have an electric fire, our electric stove, too. Well, at least we have, and this is the funny part, at least we have a microwave. <laughs> our kids sometimes will say the darndest things, and you're like, where have I failed as a parent? Let's talk about electricity real quick. No, but all of us, if we look at our homes, many of us today have become consumed by electricity. I thought about our home altogether, and I think the only thing that would not be affected would be our hot water heater. Everything else. We're going to be in a dark, frozen home, no heat, food slowly decaying as the power fades and we lose and then many of you have a generator that produces electricity on its own, right? It would work. But I think this is why we have a disparity in thinking about fire and light. is because we've become so separated from one being the other. And I think this is why there's a piece of Jesus when you minister in third world countries or a place where fire still has so much power over their life, they can understand when Jesus talks about some of these concepts. So if Jesus, when he was preaching to the people he was preaching to, fire was everything to them. It was power. It was warmth. It was food. Fire was it. So when he comes to say, I'm coming to set the world afire and I wish it was kindled for me, what he's talking is about a power, a changing agent, but there's some things, good things that come with it and it's not all devastation. So now when in Luke, or excuse me, John, when he talks about, I came to be the light in darkness, this is what fire was. I, I'm a an old Disney movie junkie. Like, if you ever watch the old Disney movies and find those Jesus moments in them, there's something about an older culture that we're not seeing now. Now, they, they make movies say whatever they want, and good Lord, there's movies on Disney I don't even want my kids to watch. But the old Disney, I think there was a wholesome to it. And you could find those places where there was, I could watch it and I'd be like, oh, that's good. So does anybody remember the Jungle Book? Yeah. So the Jungle Book, right? Mowgli was out there in the wild. He was acting like an animal. But there was Shere Khan, which was the big tiger who was bearing in on him and was going to kill him, right? But all in a sudden, as he's bearing in on him, lightning strikes, boom, and hits a tree and the tree catches on. Fire. And suddenly Mowgli has power and authority over that tiger he didn't have before. It's in the middle of a rainstorm. It's dark. So now you got this big tiger coming after. It's dark and all that. But in that moment, there was power and authority that comes from above because he's been given something he did not have. And now there is a fear that comes from the one who is coming to attack him because of that power and authority. See, there's, there's oftentimes in those old movies like that that you can watch it and 
I love to get ministered to because it just gives visual. I'm a very visual person. I like to see things like that. So I begin to think about this from a perspective of, and this has to be our heart as we go through this series, if Jesus came to do this, everything he came to do was to share with the disciples so that they would make disciples. So what Jesus came to do, now the church should be doing, right? This is the hard part because we can tell people about Jesus. And all we're really trying to do is convince them. But there's something that happens when you become convicted in it. I'll give you another example. Today I'm in my bedroom and we have a steamer in there. And when you turn this thing on, it makes an awful lot of noise. So it's hard to ever walk away and just leave this thing running, right? So while I was in the shower, I had my bedroom door closed. I get done in the shower and Emma was supposed to come. Emma's going to be the focus of all my stories today. Emma was supposed to come in and and iron her clothes with a steamer. So I get out of the shower, and I'm sitting there, and I can hear it through the door. The steamer's still on. So I yell out to Emma, Emma, did you steam your clothes? Yes. Did you turn the steamer off? Yes. Okay. She is convinced because she's in her room, and she can't hear it. Y'all go to work with me today. I said, come here. I turned it off. I know you did. Come here. The moment she walks in the room, she says, I thought I turned it off. See, this is the problem about trying to convince somebody of who Jesus is and allowing them them to be convicted on who he is. I'm going to get to these scriptures in a minute because this is the biblical version of what I'm talking about, of this whole series. So Jesus in John chapter 4, y'all know I've, I've talked about this a lot with relationship. Jesus went to the well and the Samaritan woman was there, right? And he sits down and through conversation begins to, and you know how I feel about relationship and what God wants with us and how Revelation can come in those moments of relationship because in, in talking to her when he shouldn't have, he opened the door and he began to tell her, I want to give you water that will never cease. I want to spring a well up in you that will continue. So then he says, where's your husband at? She, of course, she's on number five. And ooh, that's a, not a good subject because if you're on number five, you realize you've made some mistakes in your life, right? So he he attaches himself to a place in her life of mistake, and she can see it and say, you don't need to do that anymore. I am the answer to all that. So then in this moment, if you think about it, this perspective, she takes this flame that now she's been given, right? And she runs off to her village, and she begins to share her flame with everyone. Look at what this man told me. I met him down by the, by the well, and he told me all the ways I've been messing up. Anybody seen that old brother war out there? I love that scene where they baptize him and he comes out. And he says, he told me I was cleansed of all my sins and transgressions. Even that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. 
Come on in. The water is fine. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It, it just makes me laugh. It's kind of like this woman at Samaria. He said, I am freed of all my sins and transgressions. Even that fifth guy that's at my house right now. Come on in. The water is fine. And these people are all around her like, yes, you are jacked up. I've seen your lifestyle. And he said you're clean to that. I'm going to go check him out too. So she got this little flame and she goes running back and they all come with him. But something happens right there. Because right there in the word, it says when she tells them this, they believed because she said it. In other words, she just convinced them who he was. But, and I'm not reading the passage, I should probably just be reading the scripture. John chapter 4, write it down, go read the story. It says, then the men went back with her. And they said, Jesus, will you stay with us? And it says he stayed for two days, lived life, ministered, preached, talked, ate, broke bread, all the things with them. And at the end of that, they said, we don't believe because you told us. We believe because we've seen him. And I begin to think about this from a perspective of the church. We've done a good job of running and showing our flame to people and telling how he's convicted us and, and helped us in some areas. But I wonder, as a flame goes, if that woman of Samaria, if she had never received any more than that one moment, if she had only had that one dead thing that burned, would her flame eventually have burned out? Because what we have to realize this morning is the flame is what's going to be the light, but the flame occurs when we are kindled. You know what kindling, you know what requires for a piece of wood to be considered kindling? It is separated from the life source and it is dead. How many of you ever tried to burn a living tree? You're going to be there a while. So now let's think of this scripture of what Jesus said. I came to set the world on fire. I came to blaze a light that would shine over anything. I came to be a light in this darkness. And how I wish it was kindled. In other words, I came, but why aren't you burning? Jerusalem, Jews, I came to fulfill everything that you knew was coming. I came to show you what's about to change. But why aren't you just setting a blaze? Why in the moment I stepped foot on this earth did this just... Because either A, the things that should be burning are still connected to some sort of life, so life source... Or B, we've covered them in so much water that they won't catch. So I want to give you, I do have three points today. I don't normally do three points, but I have these three points. The first point is this. You are not the light. Uh-oh, now we're going against word, right? Because the word does say that so. Jesus tells us something about this. Verse 5, Matthew 5. 
But once again, you got to remember who he's preaching to. Matthew 5, 14, and 16, 14 through 16. This ain't on the screen, so you have to write it down. Trust me, go read it in your word this week. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's speaking to the Jewish people who have been called to be the children of God. See, Jesus has a way of speaking life where there isn't any. Everything he says was purpose over the people he talked to. It doesn't mean they got it right. How do you know that? He spoke the same thing to 12 people, and one of them sold him down the river. He told the same thing to 12 people, and only one of them walked on water. And that dude ended up cussing people out and running away anyways. Right after he told Peter, you're going to be the cornerstone. You're going to be the rock that I build. That's why I'm going to change your name because of who, what that mindset that you've grabbed a hold, that understanding of who I am. So in this passage, he's talking to Jews who have been called to be exactly that, that. He's not talking to you and me. However, he is speaking to the godly version of you and me because we have been invited into the same space that the Jewish people have. However, we have to understand when we first arrive, we first receive this invitation into salvation that it's bigger than just that moment. Jesus is the light. I want to read a, a passage with you. This morning in Psalms, we're going to go back. To, going to take it back to the old school because I'm an old fool who's so cool. If you don't know that, you're not a hip-hop fan, and that's okay. I love you. There is so much power in the book of Psalm. A lot of the things we pray and say today are already in these books, but Psalm 27 and 1 says, The Lord is my light and my Salvation. Whom shall I fear? So right here we see a greater understanding of Jesus as a light, but also as salvation. See, we've made salvation the light. But in this psalmist right here, we see that the Lord is my light and my salvation. So the first step we have to realize is receiving salvation is not receiving the light. It is an invitation to it. Think about back in the day when you had the lamps. When we talk about the lamps here, the lamp doesn't create any light without a flame. You can walk around with the light all day. See, we've gotten ruined in the years. We have flashlights now. I don't need a flame. I just need some batteries. <laughs> so what we found is even in those days, as a lamp, when we don't understand that we're called to be the light, there's a deeper calling that we're called into. What we become is a lamp that contains the light, contains the flame. But Jesus didn't come to contain the light. 
He was the light. How do we know that? Because then on the other side, when he's talking about the fire, he didn't come to contain anything. He came to consume it. There is a difference between a light and a flame that's used as a light. A flame just doesn't shine bright and it consumes a fuel. So what is this light then? If Jesus salvation and a light, the light is knowledge. Because you can't trust Jesus to do what he's going to do until you know that he can do it. The woman at the well, she had to go give some knowledge to some people to invite them to back to that space. But there is something that developed over that two-day period that began to consume them. I don't believe because you told me about it. I believe because he has affected me. You turn a light on, it doesn't really affect anything. You can turn it on and turn it off, and you see no difference from the one you turn it off, turn it back, and then turn it back on. You set a fire in your house. You're going to see some light, but I guarantee when it's all said and done, you're going to have a difference around you. So I wonder if we've been dealing with manufactured lights, if we've been handing out flashlights with Jesus printed on the side instead of giving a flame, but more importantly, inviting them to the source of the fire. Because if I just give you a candle, that candle's eventually going to burn out. If I just tell you the stories about how he's affected me and don't bring you back to the one who started the fire in me, if my life is not consumed by the flame that has been put in my life, eventually I will flicker out. Jesus is the light. John 12, 35. Hear what he tells the disciples. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. In other words, you can stay here, but the light's walking. You better walk with me while the light's still here. Otherwise, the darkness will overtake you if you stay here. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. John 9, 5. John 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus, when he was here, was the light. He was an example of what we should be doing. So in other words, you see people who come and we're on the outer outer layer of people who come to hear. I heard about Jesus. Let me go check this Jesus guy out. But you'll find oftentimes in the word where there were people who hung around Jesus and there were people who were committed to Jesus. Even some of the disciples, not the 12, but the ones on the, the outskirts, the ones close enough to get their name in the paper, made the team, however, just weren't on the floor. Because Jesus, when he starts talking about eat of my flesh, Suddenly, these people are like, what's he talking about? Tell me to eat his body? Is this weird? And he said, and suddenly they began to leave, and the disciples came to him. 
Jesus, everybody's leaving. He said, yeah, you want to go too? Or are you going to stick around? There was a consumption that it had in the 12 disciples that they couldn't leave. Because they didn't hear about Jesus, they weren't just handed something small. It had begun to work in their life, and they saw the manifestation of the example of who God was. And I'm wondering, have we lost the flame in the church? Have we lost those powerful moments where Jesus is truly changing lives? Are we just living off some old moments and stories that we've heard? Or are we truly trusting him to change our lifestyles, change our hearts, do things, separate us from fear? Right after the psalmist said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The revelation of Jesus is not just the light. It is, I don't have to be scared of anything anymore. Y'all remember when you were kids, I never did this. But there was kids who were scared of the dark and they had a flashlight, right? But you could turn the flashlight on, but what else did you have to do to make yourself not scared? Put the blanket over your head, right? Suddenly, the blanket and this light protects you from every, everything outside the blanket. The power and authority didn't come from the light. It came from your blanket. Because you thought unknowingly that what was out there couldn't get through it. That's a lot of our Christianity today. We're not getting power and authority from the light. It's from the barriers that we've erected that we think have some amount of power on what's outside of us. You know, you know why they're not crushing you? You don't want to know why nothing ever broke through your blanket? Because there was nothing out there that could. However, in our Christianity today, there's nothing out there that will. Why? Because he's okay knowing that you are living in erected barriers that will prevent you from walking as a light to the ones around you. He's taken the power and authority of this flame that you have inside of you because you don't understand that it's Jesus that's the light and it's not you. Why have we been peddling this for years? We love to preach that scripture. You are a light on a hill. And then I just send you out of here and say, burn, baby, burn. Disco Inferno. And we wonder why we're not changing anything. Because we've contained a light that if you get close enough to us, maybe you'll see it, maybe you won't, depending on how often we talk about Jesus in our workplaces or our families or at the dinner table. I really can't talk about him right there. You're going to find out if you're around me any amount of time, you're probably going to hear Jesus. Because I'm unapologetic about it. It has to be our life. And then slowly we become that. That's what we have to realize. The next is we are the lamp. So as we increase the light, the flame inside of us, slowly the flame becomes so big that the lamp, we have to take the cover off because it can't even contain it anymore. And it begins to affect every area of our life. It begins to change how we walk into places. Atmospheres change. When you got a fire coming in, you start setting off people's smoke alarms. And you ain't scared to do it. Psalm 119, 130. I did not mark these in my Bible, so you're going to have to stick with me while I flip. 
Psalm 119.30. Excuse me, 130, that's what I said. I didn't go there, I went to 30. I was like, that's not what I'm looking for. Psalm 119.130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. See, right before that, it says, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. See, what is that saying? That as God begins to do and undo some things in you, your testimony is this word becoming connectable. It's, I can't read the these and the thous, but I can see a Rick Voles in his life and how God's worked and how he was with him in that moment that he had that the brain. I can see all of that. That makes it connectable and reachable. But if I don't know you and I don't hear it from you, suddenly I, that's a piece that I don't know. I don't know that when she was sitting in the bathroom about to take her life, that that word had to come to life in her and it changed her thinking and it opened her up. And now somebody who's struggling with the same thing never will know that until they meet somebody that's in the same place or has gone through the same thing he did and won. Because the word becomes open, it becomes our light. Because I can guarantee you, I've seen this time and time again, you know where the enemy is going to attack you in? The same place that you overcome last time. Because he's trying to take your light out. He doesn't care what you're trying to do on top of that. If he can get to the source of your light, the moment you met God for the first time, and he can begin to stifle and get rid of that, watch out. There's people who are walking away from the faith today because they never really had a flame in them that you cannot put out. They were never consumed in areas of their life. They were convinced by somebody, told a line of goods, sold a brand new car, was actually a little bit older than they thought they were, and now when somebody questions it or shows them that, they walk away from it all because it was never a relationship. It was never a consummation of the things in their life. It was merely just a light bulb that was handed to them. James 1.17, this is the power of understanding that <clears throat> we are the lamp, but the power is in the light. Because the lamp <clears throat> has shutters and the ability to close off the light. You can make it any color you want. You can change what comes out of it with the right filters. You can make it dance on the walls, right? But James 1.17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We've created some filters in church, and we have changed the light. Let me be very careful with you today. We have not changed the light. We are merely changing the light that's being seen. You can't change God. You can't make good things God things. And we've become satisfied in our life of the good things instead of giving them over to God and making sure they're God things. Because some good things are God things. A lot of them ain't. 
You can't change the light. If we look at the light and it's looking different in this place, in this place, we have to check which one's right and where are filters being added in to change what people are seeing. Because when we realize we're the lamp and we have control over what is shown through us, we'll begin to tear down the filters and the things that would limit what God can do. And suddenly it begins to change us because we're not limiting that light around it. We're taking the blanket off of our head and realizing that this flashlight that lit up this little dark area of comfort now will light up every corner of my room. Every space in my life can have light. And suddenly I'm not afraid like I was before. The last thing we have to realize and ask and question is, why aren't we the fire? Why aren't we the fire? You know, I read a little bit last week, but I want to read. Philippians 2, 12 through 16. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, there's a power and authority that comes with this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine lights in the world. Holding fast to the word, the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I'm going to challenge you this week to read a little bit. Philippians 2. There's a whole lot of passages before that. I could sit here and read the first 11, 12, before you even get to this, that talks about encouragement in Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. There's a list of things that even get you to a place to begin to prepare your heart for that passage right there. Maybe I should have just spent the whole morning on that. See, one of the things I talked about last week was there has to be a commitment from the church. Because a commitment can't contain the flame. When you become committed to carrying that thing wherever you can, to being the light in the world in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You realize you got to keep adding fuel on it because 
As we keep fueling the flame, it gets bigger. But at some point, when it consumes us wholly, suddenly you don't need to add any more flame or any more fuel to it. Because God is the light. I begin to think about the things in my life that have held me back. You'll find I'm a very open individual. Here's the area the church struggles in. We don't, we, we come in and we get saved and we get better. And then we get to a place, we arrive at this place that we can't talk about our missteps anymore for fear of what people will say about us. When Morgan was pregnant with Emma, I was still in the Navy at the time, so not, as any military people know, not the best circumstances or situations to live your life in. I'm going to be very open with you all today. If you have kids, you might want to release them. <laughs> Morgan was in the last trimester, so... Men, you know what I'm talking about. Women, you know what I'm There was not a lot of magic in the heart household. <laughs> so I shared that with guys at work because if you find the right environment. I remember I would stay up late. I'm going to be open with you today because if you can't come from here, how's it ever going to come from here? I struggled with pornography. Why? Because it fit a need that I didn't think my wife was fulfilling. So I found an outlet that I justified for myself. I was active in ministry at the time. I couldn't go to the altar and pray for it. I couldn't ask anybody to pray for it. Why? Because I was on this pastoral staff. And if I had said anything, I would have lost everything. In my mind, that's what I thought. See, we all get to a place where we struggle with some junk and some stuff. But we can't even put it on the flame because we're worried about the what if. Even the hurtful things. You know what? I never went to anybody and asked for prayer over that. And we had Emma. But it was a couple of months after that that I became convicted. And I went to my wife. Why? Because I didn't wrong anybody in that church. I went to the one I wronged. And I said, I have to open up to you about something. This was a struggle and could continue to be a struggle. But I've got to allow you access into that space. I've not had a problem with it since. But I think the overarching fact was that I had to invite her, the one that I hurt, the one that I'd done it against, the one that I'd sinned against. I hadn't really sinned against me. I'd sinned against my wife. And I had to apologize to him. I had to repent to him. But the isolation comes in shame and disappointment that we don't share that with God, even though he can see every moment of it. As children, as long as my daddy don't know. Let me tell you, your daddy knows. And he just wishes you would release it to him. There's people in your life you've hurt. And you got to go to them and apologize and release it with them. Doesn't mean they'll receive it. 
she could have been told that and said, you know what? That will always be more than me and walked away from me. Could have happened. I had zero control over her at that point, but I had to take ownership of what I'd done. It doesn't have control over me anymore. I have zero desire. If I'm on a website, and you know nowadays you click on a website, there's ads for everything, and I see something they even could be, I'll get off of that website and go to something else. Because I refuse to put any fuel in something that will consume me over him. I refuse to water over the things in my life that could not be kindled. But it requires you. You know the things in your life that stay wet, that need to be cut off, that need to be burned away, that the all-consuming fire needs to give, get access to. I'm so ready for just God-crazy moments to begin to happen in here. Not in here, but in here. But it's going to start here. Because as we take the covers and the filters off of our flames and begin to bring them together, Michelle, your little flame and Gabby's little flame, as y'all prayed for each other today, both of you had your hands raised. As you prayed for each other, that flame just got bigger as you put them together. I saw Rick and Kay grab hands this morning and begin to pray. That flame becomes bigger, and suddenly now you're taking it home with you. It's not sitting in the pews and waiting on you to get back next Sunday. It's beginning to, at your dinner table. I saw your kids grab your hands this morning. Now we're giving our whole family access to us. You want to know what begins to change the world around us? When that happens, you don't have to come into church to see somebody's flame. And you don't have to come in here to see the dead things that they're burning away. The testimony begins to unfold the word to somebody. And the light of the world is restored and given the power and authority that a city on a hill has. I'm just asking you this week, today, to take notice. That's all we can do. If you would stand today, I want to pray. We just have a, a couple more passages in this, but I hope this is challenging you to see what Jesus came to do in you, but more importantly, through you. The invitation wasn't just to come be a savior a shepherd. 
Jesus came to set a fire. A fire that would not be quenched. A light that could not be hidden. A heat that could not be quenched. So that the world would know who he was and what he came to do. Father, I pray today if I am the reason the fire has not been burning, that you would open my eyes to the things that I hold back, the things that I've not given to you. Challenge me where I'm taking this flame that I might be a light in all darkness. But that I would be consumed in such a way that the darkness could never overtake the light. Father, burn away the things in me that have identified me that restrict me from being yours. Open my eyes, my ears, and my heart that I could hear you, see you, and desire to follow you. Releasing all that I have been. Tearing down the barriers and the layers that I've erected in an attempt to protect me because I am assured that the fire that burns gives me all the protection and power that I need. Father, I thank you today My heart sings, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Protect me now, my Savior. Father, let your light shine in our lives. Let your flame burn. That we might come closer to you and direct those who are hurt, lost, and broken to a place where they might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's go. 